This morning, we are privileged to uh, have a brother in Christ come and share with us. We are, we are Mercy Hill Church. We're part of a bigger group of churches. We're not independent in and of ourselves. We're part of a group of churches called LifeLink. And LifeLink is, is bigger than just the couple of churches that you see here in Chicago, being, one being Cross Point, the other one being Living Word. LifeLink is a, is a network of churches that goes into Europe and uh, Great Britain and with Bible colleges in, in Africa and connections to India and China and all over the world. And so we are privileged to be a part of a, of a bigger grouping of churches. But within our churches here in Chicago, we have a sister church in Lansing, Illinois called Living Word, and we have a, a sister church down in, in Crown Point called Cross Point Church. And so this morning, we are privileged to uh, hear from Dave Prince, who is the pastor at Living Word Church in Lansing. And most of you guys know Dave, and some of you do not know Dave. You've never seen Dave. You don't know who Dave is. Dave is a good friend and a, and a fellow, just someone who just loves Jesus. And the Dave that you hear preaching this morning from the pulpit and sharing with you the Word of God is the same Dave that you can see day after day after day. He is truly a man who, who really does and practices what he preaches. And so, Dave, when you come on up, let's welcome Dave. Thanks, John. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. It's good to see some of you in particular. It's good to see most of you in general. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Happy New Year. I, I, John, this was really good. You left one of these invitation cards up here for me to, if I want to join Mercy Hill. I'll think about it. Still time. Still time. Um, good. Praise the Lord. Um, let's take a minute and pray, and then I'm just going to share some things that God's put on my heart uh, for you this morning. And I just feel very stirred in it myself, so I know it's for me as well. But uh, let's enjoy God's word, but we'll pray first. So, Father God, we thank you for your goodness to us this morning. Thank you for that great time of singing. And uh, Lord, we, we just as a community of people, we want to look to you in a special way. We don't want to just go through the motions here. We don't want to just play church and sit through a sermon, but we want to hear from you. And so as we go through your word, we pray that your word would go through us. Waken us up, God. Change us. We pray that you grab our attention, even if you have to jerk us around a little bit. We know that sometimes we just get so thick in the head and we can't really hear you. We can't see right. And we need you, God, to um, just awaken us this morning. Thank you for the gift of this day. We, we just desire to rejoice and be glad in it. And God, we want to look at this year ahead of us, 2011, so we get a chance, kind of a fresh start on the year. God, that we might make some uh, fresh direction changes in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Do you remember the story of Gideon? I'm not going to preach on Gideon, but do you remember that story? How many remember the story of Gideon? Yeah, Gideon. Um, he's not the guy from Criminal Minds, by the way. Is that, is that Criminal Minds? What is it? There's a, movie, there's a show with a guy named Gideon. That's what a lot of people today think of Gideon. But if you've read your Bible in the Old Testament, there was this guy called Gideon. And he was a little guy. He was the littlest of the little. The Bible says that he was, um, he didn't even think he was a big shot. He's like, I'm the smallest, and my clan's the smallest, my family's the smallest, I'm just this little guy. And this angel shows up, this epiphany, this, this incredible heavenly experience shows up, and he says, hello, Gideon, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, 
well, it's cool you come and visit me because, you know, you're like this heavenly being and stuff, but I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm small. I'm the little one. And he says, no, you're a mighty warrior. And man, it must have been just freaking out Gideon's brain because he's like, how can he be calling me a mighty warrior? I mean, this is sent from God. It's an incredible experience. And yet he's seeing something that I don't see. He's seeing something in me that I don't see. All I see is our enemies terrorizing us. I have to like hide out and just so we can get a little bit of food and kind of skirt around the edges, try to avoid their raiding armies. Man, I feel so small, insignificant. But here this angel showing up and he's saying, mighty warrior Gideon. He was seeing something that Gideon wasn't seeing. I want to talk about that today. That was a prophetic moment in Gideon's life. He got a vision. He was told. He was instructed. He was, he was shown a very different vision of himself and the world than he himself was having before that moment. It was a prophetic moment. And that's what prophetic moments are. We, we suddenly get this glimpse of something in God, which quite often, quite in contrast to what we normally see with our natural eyes. And suddenly he had to deal with a new reality. Which reality is true? Am I just this little guy, the least of the least, or am I a mighty warrior? <laughs> Which reality is true? I'm gripped with the fact that we're to be a prophetic people. Not a lot of hocus pocus, weird mumbo jumbo. But a prophetic people in that we are seeing something in God which is different than what we can see in the natural. It's hard to live that way because we're trained and we mostly see the natural. We see our circumstances. We see the troubles. We see the problems. We see our smallness. But Scripture, throughout Scripture, it is calling us to a different vision. And I want to take us through um, kind of a post-Christmas passage where Jesus is brought to the temple and we see Joseph and Mary really following through on a prophetic vision that they've been given. But I want you to think about this as I go through these passages. God is calling us to see things in a prophetic way. To glimpse the heavenly realities that God is calling us to. And to somehow extrapolate those down into the practical living of our lives. And so turn with me to Luke chapter 2. This is really the transition from the Christmas story to... The rest of life for Joseph, Mary, and little baby Jesus. Now keep in mind that before the coming of Christ, before the angel shows up to to Joseph and says, Hey, look, that girl you're engaged to, yeah, she's going to get pregnant, but don't worry, don't freak out. That thing that's going on her, it's from God. And better than that, more than that, that baby is going to grow up and save your people from their sins. Joseph's like, whoa, whoa, what, what? I was at two weddings yesterday. What's with everyone wanting to get married on 1-11-11? 1-1-11. One of them was at 11 o'clock. <laughs> Marriage is this beautiful, incredible gift from God. And yet Joseph was given, from even before his marriage, a prophetic vision of what his marriage is going to be like. 
He didn't have, he had an ordinary vision, like, I'm, I'm totally after this girl. She's awesome. And I'm going to marry her, and we're going to have a family. We're going to grow up. It's going to be great. We're going to honor God. We're going to do it. And suddenly, an angel breaks in and gives him a, a higher, fresh, amazing vision of what his life in marriage is going to be like. It wasn't what he expected, but it was a glimpse into the purposes of God. And, of course, the same Gabriel shows up to Mary as well. He's like, hey, by the way, highly favored by God, he says to her. And she's like, no, I'm just afraid. She's like, don't be afraid. You have found great favor with God. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to have a child, and this child is going to be great. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. She's like, she had a vision of what life was like. And it wasn't a bad vision. She wanted to be married. She wanted to do the, the stuff, you know. But God took that and filled it with a prophetic vision of what her life was going to be. And so here you have Mary and Joseph. Finally, she gets pregnant. The months go by, months go by. And they're carrying in their heart this prophetic vision. Like God has something, some purpose to mission for us in our life and it had to give them a lot of joy the bible says they marveled at it they just she treasured these things in her heart but it also had to give just a little bit of fear and trepidation you know they're like man we're just these young kids getting married and these angels have come these angels come spoke to us and we're carrying this vision of what god's purpose is and yet we're aware that we're small and then we pick up chapter two uh, verse 21 It says this, Jesus is born, the angels sing and the shepherds rejoice. And, and then it says, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was given the name Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had, they, she had conceived, he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it's written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two small pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was, a righteous, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The New Living Translation says he was waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. He was waiting in anticipation for the Messiah to come and to save and to rescue. There was a prophetic hope in his heart that the Lord would send a deliverer. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought the child Jesus uh, to do for him what was custom for the, what the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what had been said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising 
of many in Israel. And to be a sign to be spoken against, so that the thoughts of the many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal, tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband for seven years after marriage. And then she was a widow until she was 84 years old. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting, praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own Nazareth, to their own town, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. In the scriptures, we have an Old Testament and a New Testament, right? There is a time, a period of time in between the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. And so from Malachi to Matthew, there was this period of time. It's called the intertestimonial period. It's often referred to as 300 years of prophetic silence. In the Old Testament, you have all these prophets getting a vision of God, of what God wants for his people. And these prophets would bring to God's people the message that God had given them. And they'd say, repent or turn from your sins. Oftentimes the prophets were asked, go seek God if we can go and and win this battle. And the prophet would go before the Lord and the prophet would come back and say, yes, the Lord has given you the victory. And the people would enter into battle with a prophetic vision that the Lord has already given us the victory. Or the, the prophet would come back and say, don't do it. If you do it, you're squash. The Lord was not giving you the victory, don't go. And then they had to decide, well, the Lord says, no, but man, we got these sweet chariots over here. We could do it. Let's do it. We don't need the Lord. And sometimes they wouldn't. Sometimes they wouldn't. And then there was this 300, maybe even 400 years of prophetic silence. The prophets didn't speak. The Old Testament ends with this amazing prophecy from Malachi saying, saying, there's a day coming. There's a day coming. The hearts of the fathers will turn to their children, and the hearts of the children will turn to their fathers, and you'll see the redemption of God's people. And then it was quiet. 300 years quiet. And then suddenly, we get this explosion of prophetic activity as Jesus is about to appear. Angels are showing up, giving instruction. Magi are having dreams. And the baby is born, and he's brought to the temple. When this prophetic explosion happened, and God began speaking again, re-envisioning his people, it was like the turning of the tide. C.S. Lewis wrote this great poem called The Turning of the Tide. And it's like before Christ, all the momentum was going this direction. God was forbearing with sins, but there was no full sacrifice for sin. People were, were trying to find God, but there was still a barrier and a sacrificial system and all these laws and these, this, this, these rules. And at the birth of Christ, there was this turning of the tide that all this came to a screeching halt. And suddenly, God's move for redemption was put in motion. And the practicalities of this incredible salvation was at hand. 
forgot that was there. It's quite an amazing moment in history, really. But what I marvel at as we read in this section of Scripture is here you have this young man and this young woman entering into a new season of their life. And God has loaded them full of prophetic vision for their lives. But their son is going to be a savior. He's going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. And yet there was a very practical aspect. They had to live. They had to walk. She had to take her prenatal vitamins, you know. They had to go. The census was taken. They had to go all the way to Bethlehem. And they're born in a manger in the whole scene. So here you have these young people trying to walk out this prophetic vision in their life. Let me ask you a question first. If you're here and you belong to Jesus, are you gripped with a prophetic vision of what your life is meant to be? I'm not saying like incarnations and virgin births, but I am saying this, that if we belong to Christ, if we no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in us, we're to be seeing something in God which is different. Jesus taught us to pray. He says, your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. The reality of that is God wanted his people to be gripped with a heavenly prophetic vision of what life is meant to be lived like here on earth. It's not just salvation getting through everything. It's redemption, restoring God's purposes on the earth that his people would really be his people that his purposes would really go forward. And that we would be seeing something different. It's like Gideon. See, Gideon was, was at the threshing floor and he was, he was just doing the, getting the food ready, hiding out. And the angel came and says, no more hiding out, Gideon. I'm giving you a new vision for your life. You're a mighty warrior. God's victory is coming through you, Gideon. Young and small as you are. Let's do this thing. And Gideon was confronted with a prophetic vision for his life that maybe he didn't even, maybe he was terrified of. But he had to come to terms with it. Am I looking at the, the, the spiritual realities of heaven? Or am I just trapped, am I entrenched in the systems of this earth? And that plays out in so many ways. We sang that beautiful song. What was that verse? Um, I never heard that song before. But it's like, you are my peace. When I'm afraid, is that how that verse went? How'd it go, Adam? Yeah, you're my peace when my fear is what? When my fear is crippling. Because fear is a, is a crippling thing of this earth. Oh, thank you so much, Jamie. You know, you're my peace when my fear is crippling. Fear is, is, is a crippling reality of this earth. But Jesus said, my peace I give you. My peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, but as I give. It's a heavenly reality that replaces a worldly, crippling situation. Anyways, I, I thought that song was very prophetic. I can remember from when I was very new in my faith. Um, my family experienced a fair amount of brokenness when I was younger. Parents divorced and we moved around and my brothers and I got separated. And, um, we, we experienced our share of brokenness when I was a kid, when I was like a teenager. And I can remember, I can still, if I sit and think about it, I can still remember the feeling of the entrenched bitterness and the anger, even rage, that was resident in my heart. I can remember it. I can remember punching 
and breaking the windshield of my car because I was so mad one time. And it wasn't because of what happened. It was because inside I was broken and I was angry. I can remember that rage. And, and, and when I gave my life to Christ, and then I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and God began to give me this, this revelation. It's like, it's like what this verse says when, when Simeon says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Well, I'm a Gentile. And suddenly Christ came into my life and there was this light, this revelation that I was not entrenched on earth, but that my life was rooted in heaven and that's where I was born from. And suddenly this bitterness and this anger had to come to terms with it. And I can remember, I, I so vividly remember Philippians 4, just a beautiful chapter for me in my youth. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Man, those words to me were a light of revelation. Suddenly this heavenly reality, this heavenly prophetic vision for my life was taking hold of me. And it was rooting out the bitterness and the anger that I had experienced. That was, that was really holding on to me. Like the scripture says, the sin that so desperately entangles you. That was me. I was, I was entangled by it. And suddenly this prophetic vision of my life, that my gentleness would be evident to all. The Lord is near to me. That I'm not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. And that word thanksgiving hit me like a prophetic torpedo. And suddenly I realized my life is not to be marked by my bitterness or my anger. I'm to be a thankful man in every situation. doesn't matter what crap comes down my way. That thankfulness is my prophetic position. All kinds of junk in land. I mean, it doesn't matter because those circumstances are of this earth and I am not of this earth. I am of imperishable seed. And there was a prophetic position I had to take in my life and says, you know what? My parents had their challenges and their victories and their failures. But none of that defines me. What defines me is a prophetic vision that I have for my life. And that's that I'm to be a thankful young man. And I'm not kidding. That was, that was the undoing of my rage. It, they couldn't coexist. And I found just a freedom in it. Listen, we have, to, we have to be gripped by a prophetic vision of our lives. And sometimes in our world, there are things that are called prophetic that are very strange. We don't know what to do with them. And I'm, not, I'm not even commenting on those. But in our minds, sometimes we dismiss the prophetic because we think it's something that we don't understand or want any part of. But the biblical understanding of what prophetic is, is this. That which is prophetic is God's interpretation of our human circumstances. God's interpretation of Gideon's human circumstances was, you're a mighty warrior. God's interpretation of my human circumstances, my bitterness was, you're a thankful young man. And we position ourselves prophetically so that we live as a voice crying out in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. And our prophetic life as we embrace a God-given biblical vision of who we are speaks volumes to this world that's entrenched in the things of this world. And so I love this story because Joseph and Mary, they're, they're just trying to walk out this prophetic vision. God said, you're going to have a baby. He's going to be God with us. He's going to be a savior. Now go for it. We have no record of any conversation with God from that point until Jesus is born. 
And so Jesus is born. And what's the first thing they do to walk out their prophetic life? I love this. They could have said, hey, we've seen angels. We're carrying the son of the most high. Get out of our way. We are going to single-handedly redefine church because we have special revelation from God. This baby that I've got, little baby, sweet baby Jesus right here, he's going to do away with the sacrificial system. This beautiful child of redemption, man, he's going to talk about a whole new circumcision. Not a circumcision of the body, but a circumcision of the heart. There is about to be released on the world this incredible revelation because God has come to earth. They could have said, I'm not going to do your little Old Testament stuff anymore. But they didn't. Here's the beautiful thing about walking out their prophetic life is they did it with humility and obedience. Here they're carrying, the tides have turned and it's all in this little baby. And what do they do? On the eighth day, they circumcise him. As is written in the law of Moses. They're walking out their prophetic life in radical obedience to God's word. They've got a vision for their life, but they're not going to do it outside of of what God has already instructed them to do. And so this white hot revelation excitement, they're saying it only makes us more passionate about obeying God's word. You may be walking into certain revelation of you saying, man, God has shown me some things about my life. And God says, I'm going to be a, a pastor, a minister. God says, I'm going to have this ministry music. I'm going to sing prophetic songs. God has shown me that I'm going to marry so-and-so. God is whatever, whatever the prophetic vision is. What we see in Joseph and Mary is they, they play that out in radical obedience to God's word. It's pretty exciting to me because they could have said, my vision's bigger, my vision's better, my vision's going to turn everything upside down. But they didn't. They obeyed. And as they obeyed, as they walked in radical obedience to God's word, something amazing happened. Something wonderful happened. Two things. First thing is this, that God once again um, reaffirmed, encouraged, refueled their vision that the angel had given them. They brought that baby in obedience to God's word and they said, hey, you know what? We had to wait 40 days for the purification. When a woman has a baby, has a son, she has to wait 40 days before she can go into the temple. It's just part of the law of the Lord. So they waited the 40 days. They brought a couple pigeons and they sacrificed the thank offerings to the Lord. They were walking in radical obedience. And while they were obediently responding to God's word, another prophetic thing happened. This guy, Simeon, is waiting for them. Now, I just want to tell you something about Simeon. I've always read this thing about Simeon, that Simeon was, was this guy looking to God, passionate about God. God had revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he seen the Messiah, which is a pretty radical claim, really, you know? Many a man has died before he felt like God had shown me I'm not going to die before the second coming comes again. Christ returns. I'm sure of it. Cults and all kinds of radical people say, I've got this special revelation. They end up drinking Kool-Aid in Africa or they, they, just, they just die in frustration, disappointment. But here was a guy believing that God had shown me this. 
And when the baby comes, I always thought, well, good for Simeon. He got, he got blessed. God fulfilled the prophetic vision that he'd given him. But you know what the thing of it was? Simeon's prophetic vision was not about Simeon. It really, it really didn't matter for Simeon's sake that the Christ came in his generation. He was still walking in faith. He was still doing his thing, obedient to God. What mattered is that Simeon's prophetic view of what God was doing on the earth played a key part in the lives of Mary and in Joseph and in you and in me. The point of Simeon's prophetic passion and revelation was not for himself. It was so that others would be blessed. We have to have that understanding as well for what we hold on to in God. What has God shown you? What, what has gripped your heart? What heavenly vision has captured you that drives your life? That's your passion. What is it? Think about it. Is there anything? As a young man, God is, God is gripping your heart. Open your heart and say, Lord, grip me. Wake me up from my, my earthly slumber that I might see something fresh in God. But listen, when you see it, when you're captured by it, it's not for you is that you might play a part in the greater scheme of what God's doing in generations. And we read this today. Simeon had no idea that we would be reading about his prophetic vision for seeing the Christ today. But it's given as a signpost to say God is at work and moving powerfully. Anyways, so the prophetic is not for us. We're to live out the heavenly vision so that others and and generations beyond us benefit from us seeing the purposes of God in our generation. And the second thing is this, that I think is just really neat. When we're living in a prophetic way, we are, we must understand that God is always going to expand that prophetic vision. Maybe you got married and you thought, man, God's really going to use me to serve my wife. And I'm excited about it. I've got a biblical view. The Bible says, you know, Husbands, lay down your life as Christ laid down his life and that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm, you got this vision for what it means to be a husband. Like, man, I really want to serve my wife and be a godly husband. And you know what? For you at that moment, it's sufficient. But God's purposes in your marriage are far bigger than you just serving your wife. Because he's going to expand it into you discipling your children. He's going to broaden it beyond that for you using your family, leveraging your family to serve the prophetic vision that our family is not here for ourselves and to be blessed and just to do that. But our family is designed to be a prophetic picture of what the kingdom of God is like and how we're supposed to operate. That my kids are going to have to learn that God put them in this family so they could learn to love people they didn't choose to be with. I'm going to have to learn how to love my kids because I didn't choose to be with them either. I mean, I wanted to have a kid, but I had no idea what they'd be like when they got here. Will it be a boy? Will it be a girl? Will he like sports? Will he not like sports? Will he be an introvert? Will he be an extrovert? Our family is built and designed for us to express and and demonstrate kingdom principles in our family. And then beyond that, hospitality and testimony and witness and using our family, the blessings of our family, as a way to embrace the world and declare Christ's love. Boy, when you got married, you had no idea what you were getting into. 
And even if you had the general idea, you had no idea the specifics. God's purposes in revealing the prophetic to us are always expanding. We see this for Mary and Joseph because you see in verse 33 it says, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about them. And then Simeon blessed him and he said to Mary. Now remember, the angel said to, to Mary and Joseph, You're going to have a baby. He'll be called Emmanuel, God with us. And he will save your people, Israel, from their sins. And that was, that was, what, that was their vision. That's all they knew. That's all God had shown them. And they were walking in it as best they could practically, obeying God's word, obeying what the angel said. But, sorry, I'm moving up a few verses. But what Simeon said, it says, you have pre- My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Now, the angel didn't say anything about the Gentiles. He didn't. He said, your people Israel. But here, Simeon was coming, and he was adding to, and he was stretching their understanding of God's purposes. We always have to leave room that as God speaks to us about what our life is to be like, understand that we walk it out with humility and obedience. And part of that is that God is going to stretch it, and he's going to rearrange it. And what, what he's shown us in one moment is only a step to the next, because God is stretching it. And suddenly, Mary and Joseph got to think, this baby is not just the Savior of Israel. This baby is the Savior of the whole world. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. And so, they also got stretched another way. Because never once did the angel say anything about suffering. And here, in verse 33, where I started to read, Simeon says, And this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. This child is going to, he's going to sift people. He is going to sift people. And here's how he's going to do it. That he will be a sign to be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your heart as well. They're walking in this revelation. They're being as obedient as they can. And suddenly they get this moment and God speaks to them again and broadens it and says, you know what? Not only is it just for Israel, it's for all the world, all the Gentiles. And praise God it was because that's our legacy. That's us. And secondly, he says, there's going to be suffering. This is the first mention of suffering in the Gospels. That Jesus himself will be a sign spoken against. And that those that, that receive him, those that believe in him, man, they'll be lifted high. But those that reject him and those that, that respond in unbelief, they'll be laid low. And so Joseph and Mary had to allow their hearts to say, God, I'm not going to give up on the vision, even though you've upped the ante a bit. I'm not going to deny the purposes that you've given me, you've shown me. And so I'm sure with mixed emotions, they had to come to terms with the fact that these are God's purposes for our lives. Let me, I'm just going to stop, make a few personal applications. First of all, I just want to ask you, are you seeing something in God that's driving your life? You know, it's so easy to kind of go through the motions, isn't it? It's so easy. Just the time is this way of just rumbling by. And we, we're immersed in the practicalities. And it's a phenomenal thing for a husband to get up every day and go to work and provide for his family. It's an incredible thing for a wife to go to work and provide for her family or, or work in the home or w- whatever your role is. It's a phenomenal thing to do those practical things. As a matter of fact, the Bible honors all those things. But there must be something bigger in our lives that drive us, that we're captured by it. I think it's, it's Hebrews 11. 
Hebrews 11, verses 13, it says this. It's talking about all these great people of faith. And it says that these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they left, they would have had the opportunity to go back and return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. You know, at the end of the great chapter of faith in Hebrews 11, verse 39, it says, And all these were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned for them something better for God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The writer of Hebrews roots their faith, their longing for this heavenly city into us because we have received the revelation, the coming of Christ. They only looked for it from afar, saw it coming, and it was a credit to them as faith. But for us in our day, we get to experience the very thing they were looking forward to coming of the Messiah. So let me just ask you this. Is there a prophetic revelation in your heart that you're living for? Maybe, maybe it's, it just has to do with some of these character issues of thankfulness and hospitality and, and how I believe God wants me to live. I just encourage you, seek that out. Say, Lord, what is it? What is the prophetic positioning that you want me to have this year? Sometimes it's directional. Are you open? Are you willing that when God gives you clear direction, that you'll respond, you'll, you'll do it. The first time I, I heard the Holy Spirit give me clear direction in my life, and it, it happens regularly. We need to be people who walk with the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that told Simeon to go into the temple at the moment Jesus was there. It was the Holy Spirit that revealed to Simeon that, man, you're not going to die before you see the Messiah. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And from Pentecost straight through Acts, all the way through church history, the Holy Spirit has been directing the steps of God's people. But you need to be in a prophetic position to say, I'm living the way I'm living because I've seen something in God. Second thing is this. Are you stuck in a rut? Are you willing to let God come in and expand and stretch the vision that he's given you? He did it to Gideon too. Gideon finally said, okay, I'm a mighty warrior. Let's do it. Let's get all the people of God together and let's fight. God said, okay, go ahead and gather the people. Now I'm going to sift them. With only 300 left, Gideon had to make a decision. Lord, you've gave me this prophetic vision for my life and now I was following it out and then you just, you totally trashed my army. What gives? I was living the prophetic vision you were giving me and it wasn't easy. It took a lot of courage. I was terrified. But I did it. And now you're just sifting my army? Are you stuck in a rut? Or are you in a place that, you know what, Lord? I'm walking in what I know. But as you show me more, as you adjust, as you sift my army, I'm still ready to go. I'll take my 300 guys. I'll break my jars. I'll say for Gideon and for the Lord. And I'll watch the victory that you give us. And it may not be exactly as I first thought when you first showed me stuff. But are you fresh in your heart to let God, let a vision of God, of a heavenly vision, shape your life in fresh ways, even to adjust the picture of what you originally thought? This church is in, 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 in a great position. Look, you got a brand new duds with a lot of electricity. 
You're fully powered. But this church won't mean anything unless you're a prophetic community that is seeing something in God, putting it into action in practical ways, like being thankful, like being hospitable, and seeing things in God that give prophetic direction to your life. Hey, you know what? God's shown us where to specifically go, and this is our block. We're going to evangelize here. Or God has shown us, man, we, we need to get involved with, with this community situation because we believe God's going to give us a harvest there. You've got to be seeing prophetically into God's picture. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So these are the things that have stirred my heart. I'm sure I've taken all my time up. But I just want to commend them to you. We see Joseph and Mary putting practical feet to a prophetic vision. And I want to encourage you to do the same. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you've not seen a heavenly picture. You've not glimpsed this age to come where God where God wants us to embrace the things of heaven right here on earth. You're going to have to die to your sin. You're going to have to forsake a life of sin of this world. You're going to have to embrace the things of God. And the Lord will forgive you of all of your sin. He will. He'll wash you clean as you can get. And he'll set your heart in a new direction, in a prophetic direction. And if you're here today and you're, you're tentative about the things of the Spirit, listen, there is no prophetic life outside of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the heavenly deposit placed in flesh and blood. When, when Corinthians says, we have this treasure in jars of clay, our bodies are the jars of clay, but that treasure is the eternity that we find in the Holy Spirit. It's supposed to fill and drive and, and, and just thrust our life forward. And so if you're tentative or you're shy about the things of the Spirit, let me encourage you today, in bold, be emboldened and say, Lord, I want more of the Holy Spirit. I want to live a spirit-directed, spirit-filled life. Sure, for my salvation, absolutely. But more than that, I want to live a life that's given and driven by the Holy Spirit. And so, thanks for letting me share today. I love this church. God bless you.